In football, anything can happen on the field, and your level of confidence determines how you handle it. And the same goes for moving. It's why Penske Truck Rental equips you with as much confidence as possible to handle whatever comes your way. With newer, cleaner, safer trucks, Penske Truck Rental will help you move with confidence. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. I'm Chip Patterson. That's Barton Simmons. We've got a great show for you. The great Andy Staples joins us as he is uh, on the road to Notre Dame. We talk about the Fighting Irish. Uh, He tells us some good Florida, Georgia, Georgia, Florida stories. Um, We get really into Urban Meyer at Ohio State and more. Uh, But first, we've got some news. Barton, how are you you doing right here? We're, We're recording on Monday afternoon. We've got... Uh, the the Florida Georgia game coming up. We've got a couple other headliners, but it it feels like we're still picking the pieces back together from the weekend where we spent the day talking about Urban Meyer, talking about Michigan, Michigan State dust ups. Where's your Where's your head at, man? Um, I'm good, man. I'm actually my my cold is 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 on the outs, and so I'm back with a clear head. You know, maybe maybe I won't pick any Purdue upsets this any like brilliant upset picks because I I'm back to thinking straight again. You've got a busy week this week. You got like we may have may have only have three podcasts this week because you are you're you're, you're being stretched to the limits by our bosses at CBS, huh? Yeah, I'm going to uh, the ACC basketball media days with CBS Sports HQ. Uh, so that all day Wednesday, I'm gonna turn my brain like you know how. Uh, like you can have, you can run your different engines on an airplane. Like I'm going to have to right. shut down engine one <laughs> right. and power up engine two uh, for interviewing uh, players from North Carolina, Duke, Notre Dame, Louisville. I mean, heck, uh, Chris Mack, the new hire at Louisville, the impressive new hire at Louisville that has given everyone the, the feeling that now might be uh, turnover time in the Louisville athletic department. I think we'll get a chance to catch up with him at some point, but it, yeah. You know, like the, and I feel like in college football, I've got a pretty good, um, like, I feel like I have a better grasp of personnel than most because of my background in recruiting. And I feel like in basketball, if you don't follow recruiting religiously, how in the hell do you even keep track of who these guys are? You got to learn them. You got to learn an entire like population of people every year, right? Yeah, and you get uh, the thing that gives you some help, or at least gives me some help, is just the the word coming out. College, co- co- hey Barton, I don't know if you knew this. College football coaches are paranoid. Did you know that? Right. Yeah. Yes. So the other side of that is a college basketball coach who's always willing to talk up his guys. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. college basketball coaches are very. Uh, game to give you full scouting reports and, and tell you who's who, who's what, who's been coming along, who got a little bit dinged up, when the, they're expecting uh, this guy, the light to come on for them. Like you just, you get a lot more dialogue and a lot more understanding, especially in the off season. And I, I mean, I think Gary Parish and Matt Norlander are two of the best college basketball writers in the business. And I've had a, 
I've had, I've had privilege of having a close relationship working with them for, I guess, f- the last handful of years. And so, yeah, you just got to scoop in. You got to learn the new freshman. I'm normally slow to catch with that, but uh, it's, 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 ch- I'll tell you what, I'm not breaking down uh, deep personnel questions when I'm doing these hits, you know? Right, right. Like, thank, thank goodness that the, the, the average conversation that anyone wants to hear, any fan wants to hear about college basketball in, uh, at this time of year is probably much more big picture, right? Right, right. You're not. So when you're trimming the rotation from 10 to 8 in <laughs> February, who's getting cut? Like no one's no one's really here for that. There, there's there's a lot more room to nerd out in football, and yes. pro, pro, we we probably still nerd out more than your average folks want to hear. But that's why they're here with us. Yeah, to nerd out with us about football. Uh, let's let's hit a couple headlines before we get into Andy Staples. Uh, what is your concern on zero to ten? Jalen Hurts suffered a high ankle sprain in the game against Tennessee. Nick Saban said no one really talked about it, uh, but a minor procedure that is a quote uh, was done to take care of it. He'll be out a week. Doesn't seem as though there is any speculation that his status will be any different for LSU. So what is your concern from an Alabama standpoint, zero to 10 on learning that, uh, as, as they say in football terms, Jalen hurts has an ankle. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot. He said he's, he'll be out a week. Uh, so he's out for a bye. Right. (laughs) Won't miss a game. Uh, I'm not concerned about this because Alabama is probably capable of winning a national title with Mac Jones, their third string quarterback. Uh, and you know, Jalen Hurts will be back, and they'll he'll be used in the fourth quarter. I mean, I, look, as long as Tua is playing, there's nothing there's nothing to be concerned about. And if Tua gets hurt, I would imagine that Jalen Hurts can grit it out and 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 do his thing. So this file this one for me under uh, not. Not a not, not a not a big not important, deal. Not important. I guess. It is. Um, I I had an interesting thought. I know that uh, you and probably the rest of the country was already tuned out at this point in the game. But did you happen to catch Jalen Hurts' really bad interception, like right when he came in the game? No, I didn't. I was what like, oh, I was like, I well, I just I just thought in my head, I was like, man, is that I, the one? Did, did Kyle Phillips have a pick six? Yes. Was that it? Yes. And what J- happened? And J- well, he was he made a he just completely missed him like didn't didn't even see him standing there basically threw it right to him Kyle Phillips runs it back and Jalen Hurts makes a I'm not gonna say half-hearted because I understand there are physics at play where he doesn't want to hurt himself but Jalen Hurts's attempt to chase down Phillips was uh was not exactly aggressive I don't think he'll get skewered in the film room for that one though they're probably like we're up 58 to 12 and but all right let, let's take let's, let's make a business decision here Jalen so uh I it, it occurred to me in my head I was like man I, I wonder what if Jalen has regressed as a passer like what if just not being out there what if all this backup time like what if for whatever reason he doesn't have that edge anymore uh Jalen Hurts returns to the field and ran all over Tennessee and led a touchdown drive on the very next possession and I was like oh no okay he's good yeah I mean yeah. What do you like the the new Jalen Hurts theory is he plays this year, red shirts next year, 
and then is the Alabama starting quarterback in 2020? No chance. You don't think so? No, if he stays around that long, he gets caught up in an agent scandal. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like staying at the table too long in poker or uh, in blackjack or something. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like there's the argument to be made is, all right, look, you want to be an NFL quarterback, right? All right. So what better place than to throw alongside Tua for another year against a NFL defense and practice every weekend or every week and continue to work on your game, progress that side of your game with no pressure to go out and do something you're not comfortable doing in under the SEC bright lights. And and then once Tua leaves, which he's a sure, for sure thing three and done, then you retake the job, probably go win another national title, and you are – you know, I mean, there's there's not a lot of downside unless just he just sick and tired of college. Yeah, and I I would also just wonder like, uh, do you do you want to I don't know do you want to stay uh, stick around that long if you think that there's earning potential or other life experiences to be had elsewhere? <laughs> I I did I played a fifth year, and I and I felt like and it was weird because during my fifth year, even though I was. It was literally one extra semester. I, I stayed really for a year, but I, because I was, I got injured my um, what would have been my senior year, and so I stayed for an extra year, and I really did. I was twenty, I don't know, twenty three, yeah. twenty two, twenty two, something. Like that. So I was still fairly young, but in my head, I was like, all all my buddies are like out working right now. I'm I'm like kind of behind, and I felt like I was the oldest guy on campus by like. 10 years right and, and like you you start feeling weird going to parties even though you really shouldn't because you're i mean you're still a college kid but you all of a sudden feel like you're not supposed to be there and uh but i don't know i felt like I, that was just me being a head case no uh, i i think that that's probably uh more closely aligned with what i expect going to the same alabama football parties would feel like at that point you know like, like where the where the freshmen and sophomores are just thinking this is the life of an Alabama football player. This is the best thing in the world. Jalen Hurts is like, uh, tired. I'm gonna go and home you, now. I'm gonna call a cab, it, call Uber. And you feel like the sort of the sophomores are all looking at you like, what is he still doing here? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so let me let me throw on that theory. Just the not not any inside information, but just a basic uh, sociological prediction. That hanging around that long does it's a lot of time to just stick around all of this season and then red shirt all of next season and then you come back so lot. the alter- so the alternative is then you go somewhere as a grad transfer and you're just sort of the free agent mercenary that just rolls into town and just hey i'm just here to play football folks and i'm you know i may not know i may not know any of you kids at these parties but i'm the i'm, I'm sort of a uh I'm a novelty for a year. And you right. guys are cool with the novelty. Right. Yeah, I get that. Um, okay. Kavanta Turpin has been suspended. Uh, we have an, an arrest record from uh, authorities that indicates uh, a violence arrest. Uh, Kavanta Turpin is one of the best uh, individual players for TCU. And what it, that combined with Sean Robinson's injury has really made for uh, a season in free fall for the Horned Frogs. TCU is off to a 1-3 and three start in conference play. 
Uh, they've lost four of their last five with a 17-14 to 14 win as the uh, only victory in that stretch. Now Michael Collins takes over with Sean Robinson out. How how do you reconcile what's happened to the Horn Frogs this year? And you know there are winnable games ahead. They they go at Kansas. They've got Kansas State. They still got Baylor, Oklahoma State. You know what is your level of confidence that Gary Patterson and this staff have a have a revival uh, at some point in the year, or are we looking at like a four and eight TCU team? Ever since they got their bristles up about me trying to write a nice story about them, uh, but a CBS headline didn't sit well with them. They've been in a free fall. Uh, (laughs) You're out (laughs) here claiming the Barton curse. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm I'm going to, uh, you know, talk on the other side of that and say, I bet, look, the reality is if you really look at it, they played an Oklahoma team that is really freaking good. Right. A Texas Tech team that looks bad because they weren't able to score many points, but Texas Tech is a pretty good team. Texas is good, and Iowa State, they beat. So you could make a case. I mean, you can't make a case. I mean, it's fact. They just played, without question, the hardest five-game stretch of the season. And now the back five here is... All winnable. All winnable. In fact, they'll be favored in probably, what? Three. I'd say at least three. Yeah. And and by the by the Oklahoma State game, you know, that we could maybe call it four. And so, I, you know, so I think that it's it it's just like a we it is a weird um, confluence of events here, particularly with the Turpin suspension now. And and by the way, he is he has been their spark, even against Oklahoma, he was their spark, and and yet they pulled Sean Robinson in that game. So that's not the end of the world because he was not getting it done. Michael Collins came in, gave him a little bit of a spark as well. Um, maybe he can take care of the football a little bit better, and 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 that's a you know blessing in in disguise. Um, but I still think that this is a team that could get right this weekend against Kansas. I, you know, Kansas State is is you know who, who the hell knows with them. I, I still think they win the next two. Right. Maybe. May and and they could win. Like they could win out. They truly could win out. And so I think we could look back at this this sort of turning point of a week and say, yeah, the, yeah, the, the sky wasn't really falling at that point. They just, you know, they they ended up getting right. I think that they win three more, make a bowl game six and six. I think they win at least three. I think that they win. I think it's more likely they win five than two. Ooh, agree. For sure. Right? Yeah, I mean, especially with those last games like at Baylor and against Oklahoma State. Like if if they need one of those wins to make a bowl, they'll make it. Right. For sure. Yeah. Um, okay. USC quarterback situation. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, with Andy Staples here in a second about Clay Hilton. That It's not looking great. Now, JT Daniels could get cleared by the con- concussion protocol, and then he would be ba- back out there on the Coliseum where USC has been playing well. And uh, Arizona State's coming to town. It'll be an afternoon kickoff for the Trojans and the Sun Devils. But if he has not been cleared after uh, Matt Fink broke his ribs after the concussion, 
We could be down to Jack Sears as the uh, starting quarterback. And uh, for the record, our other options, if Jack Sears can't get it done, we got a, a pair of walk-ons, Holden Thomas and Brandon Purdue, who joined the team from New Mexico Military Institute. And you can, you know, just try it out Randall Grimes or, you know, uh, Harris. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's not great for the Trojans right now at the quarterback position. And think about this. I mean, keep in mind, JT Daniels was basically bailed USC out and graduated early in order to, a year early, in order to compete for the starting job. And, A, think about what this, I mean, as, as, as much as it's not been a perfect first year for JT Daniels, he's, he's given them a chance. They put it all on his shoulders because right. the run game is non-existent and he just chucks it up to a really, really good wide receiving group. Imagine if he wasn't there, for one. I mean, they might. What would their record be now if if, if that? I mean, that they would be. It wouldn't be pretty. They wouldn't. And, have, they would not have beaten Washington State without JT Daniels. Absolutely not. And what else is on there? I mean, maybe not Arizona. Maybe I don't. I mean, I don't know that you could feel confident they would have beat Arizona or Colorado. And so now, now you now you're gonna sort of potentially see what life would have been like and part of the problem was they only had two quarterbacks on the on scholarship neither of whom were any good and that was the other problem so I do think and 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 now you can't even really just lean on your run game to help out your quarterbacks and just keep them healthy so it's it's a I mean this is this this in some ways has more potential to go south or bad than TCU because of the quarterback thing. Now I assume JT Daniels will get healthy again and and all will be well. But if not, who knows? And you know this is supposed to be also the back. You know the back slate half of the slate here is should be winnable games. But UCLA is getting better. Arizona State's not bad, and Notre Dame's probably a loss. I, I so, think Arizona State's a must-win game. I think it is. Uh, it's. I mean. With with what they have left right now, uh, yeah, you just you just don't want to be going into at UCLA with five wins. I'll say it right now. I think UCLA will beat USC. <sighs> Boy, that'll that'll be the fired on the tarmac game. Could be. I mean, that's a that'll that will be. Because there's a lot of symbolism in that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. There's a lot you can read into it, and and sort of. Yeah. It, it's it, it. You can spin that forward to create a narrative and a scenario to make it sort of unavoidable that it's it's, it's got to make a move. Yeah. I've seen some of the most talented athletes fail because they lacked one essential ingredient: confidence. Without it, everything else goes to waste. It'll make or break any athlete. And the same is true with life off the field, too, especially when it comes to moving. It's why Penske Truck Rental equips its customers with as much confidence as possible to make their move successful. Penske Truck Rental does this by offering newer, cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Every single truck undergoes a multi-point inspection, and you'll get unlimited miles on one-way rentals. So whether you're moving across the country or just across town, Penske Truck Rental helps you move with confidence. And now it's time for this week's Team on the Move, presented by Penske Truck Rental, and that Team on the Move 
is the Texas Longhorns. The Texas Longhorns are going to be playing in a nationally televised game, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time. They are going up against an Oklahoma State team that has struggled, but the Longhorns are only three-point favorites in that game, and we have questions about the status of quarterback Sam Ellinger, who, of course, was hurt against Baylor. They had the off week to recover. Tom Herman addresses the media on Monday, says that he is on track to return and that he was able to throw a little bit, but it won't be until they see him out in practice before they make a call. Um, Barton, just first of all, I guess the the you know where's your head at with this Texas team, which you know kind of has uh, has stepped to the side. It almost is like the way we've talked about the Longhorns. It's like they they had that unbelievable Red River win. And for about two weeks or so, they've kind of stepped to the side from the conversation and the national talking points. Going on the road, Oklahoma State's not great, but this is a you know Texas has got Texas has got to show that it is worth that little number six that's beside its name right now. Where's your head at with the Longhorns? And probably, I mean, this is another one. I mean, I guess depending on the the environment of the the Texas Tech game in Lubbock, probably that's the toughest spot remaining. But considering it's on the road at night, prime time, is this is this Herb Street's call? I think so. I mean, if it, eight eight p.m. ABC, I would think so. Yeah, I mean, they, those those typically, you know, the the oftentimes those games are who that you you know unranked team versus a ranked team on the road. They play out uh, not in favor of the ranked team, and so I I think there's a lot of lot to be scared of here, especially with, if Ellinger's out because. You know, Tom Herman can say that Sam Ellinger and Shane Buchel have the same skill set and doesn't change things. He can say that all he wants. It's not really true. In right. the sense, yes, they're both athletic and they're both have capable arms, but Ellinger is so much more physical and durable than Shane Buchel from a running perspective that I'm not sure you can just open up that quarterback run to the same degree you can with Ellinger. He, he's not, he's more of a, I mean, you know, think of him back when, when Sterling Gilbert was the OC his freshman year, he was throwing bombs and, and making a living on that. That's his thing. Throw deep balls, um, and, and, and operating like kind of an art browse Baylor spread. He's not really a grinded out, out type of kid. And, and so that, that could create, you know, an opportunity there for Oklahoma state, a team that's got, some of the best skill talent in the league. Um, so this is, I think this is going to be a really interesting game. And, and probably, again, probably as tricky a spot as there is remaining on this Texas schedule. One of Texas's best uh, aspects about their team, you know, aside from the quarterback position, has been the play of Caden Stearns, Chris Boyd, that Texas defensive backfield. I, I look at that as being a strength, which is not the, the primary concern here. Like, I think Texas's run defense gets gets tested. They got to be sound. You're going up against, you know, Justice Hill, Taylor Cornelius, and like, if you're out of place, if you're out of position, uh, Mike Gundy's going to have something dialed up to try and 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 burn you here. So I'm I'm looking at uh, a Texas defense that I have I've crowned and heralded and and definitely crowed about here on this podcast before that if Texas is going to remain in that position of being because the with in that time since the game, you know, what's our conversation been about Oklahoma, right? 
Like we've yeah. we've got to start looking at Texas not just as a they beat Oklahoma they're better, but with the knowledge of the Big Twelve championship game being a rematch, it's like all right Texas like you 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 need to you need to show up in this game. It would say a lot about the the championship caliber of this Texas team if they went into Stillwater at night and won that game by thirteen points. Yeah, we still are looking for that sort of second data point on Texas. Yeah, I mean, look, take nothing away from beating TCU, beating USC, but those teams haven't turned out to be as good as we thought they were at the time. Right. And the Oklahoma win is everything we thought it was at the time, we think. So, But we're still waiting on, on Texas to go and blow out in Oklahoma State. You know, they didn't blow out Baylor. Go and blow out, you know, you got to go and go do something else that makes you look national, you know, title worthy. Um, this is a this is a great opportunity to do that and something we're, we're still sort of longing for out of that Texas program. And that is uh, Texas Longhorns, our Penske truck rental team on the move. Uh, remember, Penske truck rental wants to help you and whoever's moving. Uh, they want to help you by offering confidence. That confidence comes from newer and cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Thanks to those multi-point inspections, you can get unlimited miles on one-way rentals. The unexpected is bound to happen, but with Penske truck rental, you'll have the confidence that you need to handle it. Penske truck rental helping you move with confidence. All right, Barton, you ready to bring Andy Staples on? Let's get it rolling. And now it's our pleasure to welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast from Sports Illustrated is the esteemed Andy Staples. Uh, He is currently on the road. We're headed to Notre Dame, right, Andy? That's right. All right. We will get to Fighting Irish in a little bit, but I wanted to start with something a little bit fun, a little bit open-ended. I want to take this wherever you want. You have many, 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 many memories of uh, Florida, Georgia, the the largest, the artist formerly known as the largest outdoor cocktail party. Uh, (laughs) Either on field or off, take this anywhere you want to go. What are some of your uh, favorite memories from that rivalry in that game in Jacksonville? It's it's strange because a lot of the years I've been covering it or around it have been blowouts one way or the other. Like I seem to have missed all the competitive games. Um, but I, you know, I did, um, I did an episode of junior say show when wow. he had a TV show, the sports jobs. And then there was one where he was a rodeo clown and one where he, uh, was a member of a NASCAR pit crew. Well, he did one where he followed around a sports writer and that sports writer was me at the Florida Bulls game. So that one was fun, having Junior Seau ask me a bunch of questions in the press box while I covered that game. Because that was way more fun than that game would have been to cover, because I think Florida, it was uh, 09, so Florida just crushed Florida that year. Um, but I'm trying to think, during the game, probably the Georgia Stomp game was, was one of the more interesting games I covered. The 2007, when, uh, when they scored and the whole team came right. on the field to celebrate. They're and instructed then, to celebrate. They were instructed to celebrate and get a penalty, and, and they did it very well. And, uh, and then they just, you know, Nershaw Moreno just sliced and diced Florida the rest of the game. Uh, that one was fun. The, uh, as far as the Florida wins, though, it's all been blowouts. Yeah. Like. yeah, that's uh, – that, for, the, 
for for all of the what for all the like outside adventure of this though it it's not like the even even though the the games have been blowouts they haven't lost its luster at all like we're still going into this yeah. weekend for example well, actually, like, I'll give you I'll give you one that's an interesting Florida win because I've never seen happier coaches at the end of a game it was 2005 it was Urban Meyer's first season at Florida and you guys remember the game immediately before that for Florida because they had they had the open day before Georgia they played LSU before the open date and it was a close game I think at, at, at the beginning of the fourth quarter it was one possession game and Florida had the ball four times in the fourth quarter and never crossed their own 30 and that was the game where Urban Meyer shed tears in the post-game press conference <laughs> and like a couple weeks before that they had just been annihilated by Alabama and it was it was a realization that his his offense his baby was not going to work with the players they have and it was it was incredible. And I remember how contentious the interviews were in that during that bye week, and how it, the the coaches weren't weren't mad at us, and and it wasn't like they were upset about the questions or anything. They're just frustrated. And then the fans were so unsatisfied with any of their answers. I mean, they were ready to run this whole staff out of town. And basically, what they did during that open date is rebuilt the offense from scratch. So look at the offense Larry Fedora had run the year before under Ron Zook and built like a 12 play offense that they could run. And they took the, the they'd move, when they got there, they'd move the fullbacks all to linebacker because there was no fullback in, in Myers' office. They brought them back from linebacker. So Billy Asco went from fullback to linebacker, back to fullback. And Georgia had no idea what was going on the first couple of series. And so Florida scores the first two series, and then just say, hang on. We would have figured it out after two series. We were like, oh, wait, it's just last year's offense, and it's not even the whole thing. Um, but Florida's defense was so good that year, they just hung on for dear life and wound up winning the game. And Georgia was ranked somewhere in the top five at that point. And so that is, again, that is as happy a coaching staff as I've ever seen after a game, and I'm including national championship games. All right, so uh, because you went there – Let's put a let's put a pin in Florida, Georgia. We got to let's go to let's go to Urban because if, if I feel like it might be time for him to restructure his offense a little bit in at Ohio State too. What where 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 do you come in here and like how do you digest what we just witnessed this past weekend against Purdue and just the general vibe around that program? It feels like uh, yeah they lost to Purdue, but I mean they were the number two team in the country. And, it, and yet it feels like when you look at the Ohio State message boards or, or when you sort of read the, the media tea leaves that this is like a lot bigger than one loss. So yeah. where, where, where do you dive into this thing? And, well, and, the, and the bigger it? problems are on defense than offense. Uh, I think you can – they have problems on offense and it's clearly that they, they, abandon the, they panic and abandon the run game. And that's not new, by the way. I actually thought Dwayne Haskins was going to solve that problem for them because – since he's not a very good runner, unlike Tim Tebow, unlike JT Barrett, Urban Meyer's kind of weakness offensively is that when in doubt, he relies too much on the quarterback run game. Well, I figured with Haskins, since then that wouldn't be the the problem. That he he would you would take away Urban Meyer's crutch, and then he would have to feed the back. And with J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber, that would be great, and they'd be just fine. 
But the the middle of that offensive line has not been particularly great. I don't know. I, I've seen people suggest moving Michael Jordan back to guard, and uh, they've got a redshirt freshman who who may be ready to come in and play center. I think that could that could help. But really, their problem is they give up too many gash plays on defense. Um, I think they came into last week ranked 99th in the country in plays over 20 yards allowed. And it was like 35, and they gave up eight more against Purdue. How about this? But this this week, they, they they are the only two teams in the college football that have allowed more plays of 30 yards or more against them are Kent State and UConn. Those are the only two. Oh, good Lord. And UConn <laughs> gives up like nine yards a play. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's telling. That's just – and I don't know if it's a case of they finally ran out of mojo, they, they didn't have a first-rounder, a bunch of first-rounders waiting the wings. I mean, it's – talent on defense. Draymond Jones is a, is a high-round NFL guy. Chase Young is a high-round NFL guy. Uh, Bosa, when he was playing, obviously, is a top-10 NFL guy. But they, there's something lacking there. I don't know if it's it's definitely the off at linebacker. Those guys seem to be out of out of position quite a bit. Well, I just didn't like Aaron Browning was a very you know, highly touted recruit. Seems like a very good athlete. So I don't think it's a lack of athleticism there. I just I, maybe they're being a little too aggressive with those guys, a little too feast or famine. I, I mean, because with the kind of athletes you have at Ohio State, you should be able to kind of play base, and most teams shouldn't be able to score. So, so I don't know what's going on there. Let, let's. Are you willing to sort of play a hypothetical or just project out and just? Yeah. Can you do you have any guesses on just sort of how this ends? Is it does it end on Ohio State going on one of these runs and we forget this ever happened? Does it end with this is Urban Meyer's last year? Does it end with Matt Campbell being the head coach? Like how far down the rabbit hole are you willing to go to to say I, like what, I don't what know this, I don't know what this necessarily means for Urban's future. I mean they've had this game before. Yeah. So they had it against Clemson. Now that was the last game of the season, so that's a different story. But they had it against Iowa last year, and then they. They didn't lose it. So, I don't know. I mean, after the Michigan State game in 2015, which was not the blowout loss, but was kind of like, how did you let this happen loss? They were as good as, as they've ever been against Michigan. So, I don't know. I mean, it seems like with the athletes they have, if they make a few tweaks and, and everything clicks, then they're fine and they keep winning. Uh, although I will say the way Michigan's playing right now, I don't know that that Ohio State's going to win the East because they're just it's it's not going to be easy, and they still have to play Michigan State, and so I don't know. I just the urban thing, everything that happened at the beginning of the year leads me to believe that I, you know he's done sooner rather than later, but I don't know if it's this year. I mean. No. That seems fairly soon, especially given the amount of talent he's stockpiled. I'd, I think he'd want to give it a run for trying to win a couple more national, or at least a couple more Big Ten titles, win another national title. Um, but it is a it is a weird deal because you know, like Nick Saban doesn't lose games like that. They they don't lose they don't lose any like opponents at all. But they also they don't lose by that margin. They never lose by more than fourteen. That and national championship teams don't have that loss. So Ohio State, no, never. Ohio State can get to the college football playoff. That's fine. But if that's the They're case, yeah, yeah. If, if that's the case, I'm going to pick Clemson to beat them 31 nothing again. 
Like it's just like exactly. th- that doesn't look like a national championship team. And the the gap between that has just like Andy, I feel as though there are uh, you know, Ohio State fans and certainly members of the media community and and listen, in, in this world of hashtag bias and agenda and everything else, uh, I don't I don't want to steer too far into acknowledging that as a determining factor of decision making at the highest level of college football. But Urban Meyer what the second that anything went wrong, as you mentioned from the beginning of this season, people are going to be teaming up, and it's almost like yeah. the the rooting for his downfall. I can't help but think that that's just going to have an impact on the conversation, and I don't know if the play on the but, field is going to how that's yeah, going to relate with that. I think that's nationally, but I don't think that's within the Ohio State community, and that's who makes that decision, right? And and that's and that's who influences Urban Meyer in his decision making process. So I just I don't I don't necessarily think that's a case of everybody's against Urban Meyer, so Urban Meyer is gonna gonna hang it up. Like Ohio State is still very much for Urban Meyer. Now the fans are, are mad about this game; they'll get over it. They, they'll get if they win a few more games, they'll be fine. They'll they'll deal with you know the the just mental repercussions of this loss, and, right. and they'll get over it. But now, I, I just, it will be a fairly overwhelmingly negative atmosphere. And actually, you can probably answer this question better than I could. I don't know the long-term effects of what happened at the beginning of this year on Urban Meyer's recruiting. Because he's a smart enough guy to know that if he's having trouble getting the same kind of players that he's gotten, that it's not going to be the same, and he'll, he'll do something about that. But... I don't know exactly where they are on, uh, you know, in terms of recruiting. It still seems like a fairly attractive place to go. Yeah, it's still Ohio State, right, Barton? Yeah. Well, yeah, and the irony is, is that he is now recruiting more high character kids than ever before, and so these are the type of kids that might actually be affected by that mess before the season more so than maybe classes you would have recruited in the past. That's I think they lost. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think they've lost one one commit. Uh, things are going okay, so we'll see if they can close strong. But it's—I mean, they'll still—they're still, still going to be top five classes under Urban Meyer as long as he's there. Yeah, see, I, I mean, as long as that's still going on, I don't think that. Now, if something else were to come up, if if there were something something big or another thing that came out from the past or something like that that, that looked really bad, then maybe, you know, because I think you you're you're on a pretty thin wire after what happened at the beginning of the season. But no, I, I just. I don't think it's that loss. I I don't know why his teams have these losses. You know, at Florida, they didn't do this for the most part, but they didn't have the same kind of sustained success at Florida that they have, that they've had at Ohio State. You know, they won the national title in 06. 07 was, was a rebuilding year of sorts. They, they lost the entire defense, so they had to play a bunch of young guys on defense, and, and they looked like they were playing a bunch of young guys on defense. Uh, and then they went in 08, and then they were, you know, 12 and 1 in 09. So, um, I don't know. It's just, it, it's not, it's sort of uncharted territory here because I don't know why they're losing in that way. And it doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's let's bring it back. We promise bringing it back to uh, Florida, Georgia. What's your assessment thus far? On on Dan Mullen versus Andy Staples' expectations for what where he expected this Florida Gators team to be heading into this week. I think he's done a lot better than I expected him to do. Mm. I, I thought 
the talent he inherited was not going to be good enough to win some of the games they've won. And uh, it turns out that there were some fairly good players on this team. Um, Ja'Kai Polite. I don't know that, that people realized how good Ja'Kai Polite could be. I don't, because he had been used in a different role. Uh, they played him at three at a three technique in, in his freshman year just to get him on the field because they felt like he was talented but wasn't quite ready to break in as a pass rusher. So they had him gain some weight, and he played as a three. And then last year he hadn't really lost all the weight and was trying to play defensive end and just didn't move as well as he wanted to, wound up hurting his shoulder. Um, but now uh, he is outstanding. I mean, he is very disruptive. And then they've got Jabari Zuniga and C.C. Jefferson, who was kind of the guy and now is kind of a role player. Um, you know, you get, you'd have to be quarterback. You can do some stuff. And, and the other part of it is Florida's offensive line has been a lot better than, they, than we thought they'd be. You know, mm-hmm. and the assumption was after they lost to Kentucky, oh, same old Florida offensive line. No, it just turns out Kentucky's D-line is really good. Yeah. And so Florida's O-line, while not, you know, the best in the country, when they needed them to, to run some clock against LSU to get out of that game, they, they ran some clock. They got a couple third-down conversions on the ground and uh, helped win in the game. And Felipe Franks, I think they're getting the most out of him. Uh, this is we, we knew Dan Mullen was, was good with quarterbacks, and uh, what, what he's done with Felipe is basically he has figured out what he does well, and they're going to do a lot of that. And they're not going to try to make him do things he doesn't do well. Right. And, and that's a good thing. That is a very good thing. Utterly simplistic, utterly simplistic, but a lot of coaches never figure that out. What What's a better validation of Dan Mullen as a quarterback guru, what Felipe Franks is doing right now or what Nick Fitzgerald is not doing right now? Yes. <laughs> Both. Because, yeah, I mean, you, you see what, what miracles he worked there uh, watching the LSU game the other night. Like, Nick Fitzgerald is a great runner, and I see Joe Moorhead has figured out, hey, let's run him a little bit. That's going to work. But you can't, you can't try to force him to be Trace McSorley because he's not. What, what know, is just, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. That, uh, it was just, just let him do what he does well and ride that, and that gives you the best chance to win because if you try to make him something he's not, you get things like four interceptions that change the game because Mississippi State's defense played really well that game. It, you know, a, a short field for an easy touchdown right off the bat is what turned the game. So with regards to the Georgia-Florida, I mean, do you feel like you have a good sense on who Georgia is? Heading into, I almost no. feel like I, I have a better sense on who Florida is than Georgia. Do you, do I, you, I agree completely. Do you have expectations for this game? So if you'd asked me before Florida LSU, I'd be like, there's no way Florida beats Georgia. Just – they're going to get out talented. There's not. There's no chance. And then after Florida LSU, I'm thinking, well, shoot, if Florida plays that way against Georgia, there's a chance they can win. I don't know if it's 50-50 or more than 50-50, but there's absolutely a chance Florida can win playing like that. You know that that's the thing is is Florida has to be physical up front. They have to open holes for for Scarlett and P Ryan, and if they do that. There will be room for Franks to do some stuff. You know, if you're one-dimensional, if Florida's one-dimensional, then all Georgia has to do is tee off on Franks. They just pin their ears back, come after him. He's going to make a mistake. He's going to throw it to the other team. It'll set him up with a short field. Georgia have easy touchdowns. Um, But if Florida can run the ball a little bit, 
and get Franks involved in that because one thing they did really well against LSU was just a little speed option with Franks, and it, it got LSU all out of sorts. And it, but it forced LSU to respect that, and it made it where it was easier to protect Franks because if he's under pressure, there's a real good chance he's throwing it to to the other team. So, and I think that's that's the thing. And I don't know, I don't know how Georgia handles Florida's defense because they're very disruptive. They do get to the quarterback and. You know, you saw Jake Fromm against LSU, and it, it did not look good. Mm-mm. And I, he's not played a game like that since he's been the starter. So I don't know if that's a case of that was the anomaly and he gets back to normal, or they just use, they use fields a lot more to, to really mess with Florida. I, I would bet that Florida has been working on a lot of the field stuff because I think they're probably expecting to see a little more of him. It seems like Georgia has, from a – from an idea, well, the SEC East is up for grabs. So, in terms of you know the yeah. the stakes of the game, it's it's huge. I mean, if if you want to have anything to any come anywhere close to accomplishing the goals that you want to have, but there's there's so much on the line, just even from a what this Georgia football team is, because Georgia, if Georgia's key to to really disrupting Felipe Franks in Florida is going to be getting to the passer. I mean, it seems to me, and it's looked to me so far, like one of the things that Georgia has really experienced a drop-off from from last year is getting to the passer. It's like they're going to yeah. have to overcome all these shortcomings. Like Jake Fromm's, Jake Fromm cannot be playing uh, the way he's been playing recently, and Georgia not only beat Florida, but even be expected to compete for an SEC championship. I feel like I've, I've, I've decided Florida's like, what, top 10, top 15 good? But Georgia, if there's mm-hmm. any whiff of a get back to the college football playoff, it feels like we've got to see a very different Georgia team on Saturday. Yes. You, it can't be the team that we saw against LSU. And, I mean, really, it will come down to can they run the ball on Florida's defense. And if they can control the game on the ground, they're going to win. Yeah. That's the one thing I was kind of surprised by against LSU is that they seem to be doing all right in the first quarter with Holyfield, but then they get away from it a little bit. You know, they'd, get, he'd, they'd hand off to Holyfield for seven yards and then try to throw it a couple times. Like, just do what's working. Yeah. <laughs> we were, I mean, everybody was screaming it. Um, all right, so you're on your way to, to visit the Fighting Irish. Where where do you put Notre Dame in the, the sort of big picture of the top tier of college football? I think that there is no question that they belong in that top tier of national championship contenders. How do you? How, what sort of role are they playing uh, in this act of the play for you? Well, I, I have them at number two in my top ten that I put out on SI.com. and that's that's because of the, the quality of wins they have. That's why I have them ahead of, of Clemson after what we saw from Clemson this week. If you ask me which team I think has a better shot of beating Alabama, I think the Clemson we saw this weekend is the only team that has a shot of beating Alabama. Um, so, but Notre Dame, I mean, they look fairly complete. Right. You know, we can find flaws in all these other teams too, but I, I like, I like what Notre Dame can do in the run game. Uh, since they've switched to Ian Book, they seem to be fairly efficient in the passing game. I love their defensive line. Um, you know, I, they, it's hard to run them. They get after the quarterback. So I, I really think Notre Dame is as good as any of these guys. And, they're going to be favored in every game on, that's left on their schedule. It's still really hard to go undefeated, so everybody's going to be like, oh, you know, if they lose one of these games, everybody's going to be like, oh, they were, they were terrible. We knew it all along. No, you didn't. They're pretty good. 
The, uh, they might lose a game because it's really hard to go undefeated. But they should win the rest of their games. Right. And if they win the rest of the games, then they get a crack at it. And this team is good That's enough right. to get a crack at it. Uh, you'll like this. Let me, th- let, me, let me throw something at you guys. All right. What if Notre Dame drops a game, but Michigan is the 12-1 Big Ten champion? Michigan. See, Even though I, they played I, I, and Notre Dame yeah, won? Yeah. See, I still think that – there's it was a if, if if Notre Dame had blown them out, then that's one thing. But I still think it's a one touchdown still, game on the road. Right, one touchdown game on the road, and you can factor in like an evolution of a team. Now the thing that's got right. me bullish on Notre Dame is Notre, they have also evolved since that game. Like they're a yes. very different team now than they were in Week One. Also, um, but if yeah, Notre they, Dame they were would, running the puncher, they were running the puncher's chance offense. Right. Chuck it up there and just hope <laughs> yeah. your dudes make yeah. plays. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, but if, this, this is but a that, much different offense now. And if Notre Dame loses someone, then it'll be a, an unimpressive loss. Like it won't be a it won't be a loss that we're like you can easily excuse away. So that exactly. And so, the, the one I'm the one I would be the one I would caution people with is Florida State because they seem to be getting better, which. I realized there was nowhere to go but up right. at the beginning of the season. But they do seem to be getting better, and as a, as, as a collection of athletes, they can hang with Notre Dame at most positions. Now, where, where I think that falls flat a little bit is Florida State's really bad on the offensive line, and Notre Dame is great on the defensive line. So I think Notre Dame should be able to handle them, but that's one that I kind of look at and go, uh, if they're going to lose one. And then USC's been pretty good at home under Clay Helton, although – after what we saw against Utah, I'm just like, uh, I, I don't know. I I don't know if this the Clay Helton thing is. Gonna yeah. Work. All right. Before we get you out of here, we wanted to talk about that. So the let's. Do you want to expound real quickly on the uh, uh, the Jim McElwain Clay Helton connection for any listeners who might not have read? And you should always read Andy Staples and follow him on Twitter. He's excellent and one of the best in the business. Well, I I just feel like it's a very similar feeling to the way Florida fans felt about Jim McElwain after those first two years and everybody, everybody on the outside is like, but he won the SEC East twice and won 10 games both seasons. What's wrong with you people? And they're like, but did you see how he played against Florida state? And have you noticed that the recruiting's not great? And have you noticed how far the team seems to be from the teams that actually contend for the national title? Well, that's the same thing that, the USC fans have been saying for a year and a half now, and we're not listening to them. We're just going, yeah, yeah, whatever. You won the Rose Bowl. You won the Pac-12. Shut up. Stop being spoiled. But the fact of the matter is, USC should get the best recruits on the West Coast every year. They should have the best recruiting class in the Pac-12 every year. They should develop those guys in the NFL players every year. They should be in the national title conversation almost every year. And so the fact that it was considered acceptable that the expectation – We'll just win the Pac-12 South, and they might not even do that. Is especially with this Pac-12 South. That I see where why the fans are going crazy because they they feel like they've gone into another dimension. Like this is a, a program that's supposed to compete for national titles. At what point did this become acceptable? Yeah. So that's the part they're they're frustrated with. I don't blame them. I mean, this team can't run the ball. Yeah. How do you have? The best recruits on the West Coast on the offensive line, and according to the recruiting rankings, they do, and those backs, and you can't run the ball. And the former offensive line coach as your head coach? 
Right. Not a good right. reflection. It's, it's baffling. And so Utah sort of figured out the secret sauce. You know, a lot of the other teams were like, well, we'll put an extra guy in the box and make them one-dimensional because they can't run. And Utah's like, we won't put an extra guy in the box because we know they can't run. <laughs> and that way we'll cover everybody. Because that was the problem before is JT Daniels was picking people apart because they were, you know, loading up stuff, the run that was not coming. So if the run's not coming, don't play for it. <laughs> oh, that's is, – is that the job that you think would cause the biggest chain reaction? Oh, if, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, somebody – Somebody really good would get that job. Somebody who's, you know, sitting in a spot that you don't think they would leave would get that job, and, and that would set off a big chain reaction because, you know, somebody else good would get that job, and then somebody else good would get that job. So right now there's not a lot of those jobs. Like last year was so weird because there were so many good big jobs open. And this year, unless USC opens, you're just not going to really have any unless – you know, maybe in January somebody goes to the NFL, which I, you know, I know everybody's like, oh, Lincoln Riley, everybody's coming to talk to him about the NFL. I don't think he's leaving. So I don't know who would be leaving for the NFL if, if that's the case. So before you jump off our call and go hop on radio in Louisville, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and get the question out of the way now. Is Jeff Brown going to be the head coach of Louisville next year? I. I think if I'm Louisville, I do everything in my power to make that happen. Go get him. I don't think Petrino – I don't think anything gets any better with Petrino. It, like, the way they're trending down, I don't see a way out of that spin. And he's got this weird contract where the buyout is essentially the next three years' worth of salary. So his buyout actually goes up next year and up the year after that. So do you really want to risk – and by the way, the guy who is perfect for your program is there. Yeah, he's, he's out right. there. Yeah, right. and, and you got to get him before someone else does. Exactly. And it's going to be expensive, and I understand that. But here's the deal. If that works, then you've got a guy who will coach at your school for 20 years. Yeah. He'll yeah, be happy there. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like Louisville and the ACC, it's not like – the equivalent job in the SEC. The, whatever, what's the equivalent job to Louisville in the SEC? Is it South Carolina? Is it maybe a little higher than that? Maybe. It might be. It might be so, Auburn. Is it Auburn? Yeah, maybe. So you can compete for the ACC title every year. You can get the players who are capable of competing for the ACC title every year at Louisville. Now you're going to have to deal with Clemson and Florida State, sure, but you're going to get yours every once in a while if you've recruited well. Hey, yeah. he's, getting, he's getting dudes at Purdue right now. He he's got Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore would start at Ohio State or Alabama. I mean, come on. Um, yeah. Nah, I, I, told, I told Barton, don't forget that they put a triple crown winning horse on the front cover of their media guide. There's enough horse money to collect all the buyout that you need. I, I don't know. I'd, I, I'd pass the feedback. <laughs> he uh, is hey he is andy before you go andy i had the worst meal of my life in south bend this summer where are you eating not What's there not? <laughs> i need to not know so next so the next time i go up there i can actually find a good meal i know you're always well, on the cutting edge so where are you so eating it's, up there? it's upstairs i'm trying to remember the name of the place it's upstairs from the fancy steakhouse the fancy steakhouse well, Sal Grill is a steakhouse it's too expensive 
And so you go upstairs, and I believe it's called the kitchen at LaSalle Grill. And they have this awesome, like, thick, not, they call them bacon steaks. And that's really what they are. They're these massively thick slices of bacon. Wow. And they're delicious. And they have a great beer selection there and a bunch of good sandwiches and burgers. And um, so it's basically like the, uh, the cheap stuff on the menu at the fancy steakhouse is all up there. And uh, it's really good. I'm I'm sold. I'm going down to <laughs> Absolutely. Back, he, he is Andy Staples. You can follow him on Twitter at Andy underscore Staples. You're very, very kind with your time, Andy. Let, let's do this again soon. All right. My pleasure.